You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, cut off his head, legs come looking for you. It's Jeff McLarge. <laughs> hey, hey, everybody. Hey, Bill. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> Fine, thanks. Oh, How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm good. I'm very good. What you doing? Ah, nothing. Not much. <laughs> Not much. Yeah, I'm gearing up. Well, oh. mentally, anyway, I'm not. I notoriously, whenever I go on trips, I always pack really early. Yep. But I'm not that early this time. In about three weeks, I'm going to be doing my first real big road trip since forever. Oh, really? I think the last road trip I did was going to Canada in 2019. That was for the Marillion weekend, right? Yeah, up to Montreal, which is you know. Probably only like an eight-hour drive. This time I'm driving down to Florida, which is a you know twenty-plus-hour drive. Right. Um, so that's something I usually do that trip just about every year. Mm-hmm. But a couple of years ago, my brother was getting promoted to lieutenant, mm-hmm. so I missed that out on the week that I would normally go. And then uh, I'm sure you get the newspaper. There was a global pandemic, yep. so I didn't I didn't travel in 2020. Uh, 2021, I know this is the January 3rd episode, but we're recording it before January 3rd. So, yeah, this is my first big road trip since, uh, yeah, in like two and a half years. Wow. That's awesome. Yep. So, yeah. when you when you drive down to Florida, do you just like straight on through to the other side to quote the oh, doors? or I used to do that. I used to like have like little challenges like to see how fast I could get down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my record was from doorstep because I go see my friend in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Florida, not Melbourne, Australia. Jesus, no. Oh, that's all right. um, you got to keep the windows rolled up for a lot of that drive. <laughs> yeah, from my house to his house, thirteen hundred and twenty-five miles, Oof. and the fastest I did it was nineteen and a half. Nineteen and a half hours. Yeah, I feel like I should open my calculator and calculate your average speed. Six sixty-eight oh. is my average speed. That's not bad. I mean, that's and that's including stops. That's including you know stopping to pee, stopping to grab a burger, this, right. that, and the other. That's yeah, the clock didn't stop. That was constant. Right. Wow. I did that run back when I was 19 in a stolen car. <laughs> a stolen car? <laughs> a stolen car, yeah. Well, the story is the car got stolen in Florida, and someone ditched okay. it on the Cape. A friend of the family was going to drive it back to the dealership because he knew the dealership yeah. where it was stolen from. They called him, and they're like, hey, somebody stole this car and dropped it on the Cape. Can you drive it back? We'll pay your expenses. And told my dad he was going to do this, and my dad's like, oh, take Jeffrey with you. Okay. And he gave me some money. <laughs> And he said, when you get down to Florida, call this girl that was up here visiting and tell her you're in Florida. Like, okay. When am I leaving? He's like, about six hours. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. Jesus. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so I rode down there uh, driving straight through in a, a brand new red IROC Camaro. Nice. Um, no. no, 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 not nice. Not Let nice. me explain why. IROC Camaro seats do not recline comfortably. Oh, no. It's a GM, so they're like, they fold forward so you can get in the back. Right. And in the back of a Camaro is like, it's big enough for a, you know two action figure sized children. It's not big enough for humans, and I'm not the biggest guy, but even I can't fit comfortably in one of those. Right. So no matter how you laid it, you were never flat, and it was always uncomfortable. Those were very hot commodity cars, and then they went from hot commodity cars to the kind of car you make fun of, like, almost overnight. Yeah. Yep. Hey, my IROC Z, Manny. Hey. I mean, I think now you could probably stroll away with one pretty easily. Right. But, like, when we were back in high school, you know, Chevrolet was like, Look, uh, you've seen people that have a job, right? Yeah, why? Mm-hmm. All right, you're approved for $35,000 a granted. Here, take this car <laughs> off our hands. You know? So so I don't know that they do that so much anymore. But, um, yeah, it was fun. Uh, and the way that we had worked out the driving was one of us would drive for a couple of hours. And then, we'd, you know, whenever we had to stop for gas, which in an IROC Camaro right, was right. surprisingly frequent. We just switch over, and then whoever yeah. was in the passenger seat would sleep. Whoever was in the driver's seat would drive. Except I couldn't sleep. That is a great plan on paper. That never works it out. Never works out. Never. My brother and I drove cross country, and that's the way we planned on it. And uh, we didn't even make it through the first day without that plan failing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, this plan failed right out right out of the gate. My greatest memory is that one. We ate only Exxon gas station burgers because he had an Exxon credit card that the dealership had sent him. And that was how we were going to feed ourselves on the way down. So microwavable cheeseburgers, which I, if I never eat again, will still be too soon. You probably still have some in your intestines. I probably do, yeah. It's probably a contributing factor to my increasingly uh, terrible health. And the other thing I remember is being in Georgia. My friend was asleep on the seat next to me. And I'm doing, you know, 65 or 70 miles an hour on the highway. And I keep changing lanes. And I'm changing lanes enough that he wakes him up. And he says, "What what are you doing? And I said, I'm going around the trees. And he goes, the trees? <laughs> Pull this car over right now. And I pulled over. And he's like, what trees? And I was like, there's trees. I, there's palm trees like just coming out of the road. He's like, you're, you're hallucinating. Get, you can't drive anymore. You're too tired. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that um, gets real, real dangerous real, yeah. real fast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. So this is going to be the week beginning, January the 3rd. Wow. January 3rd, 2022. Who thought we'd get here? Yeah. Not me. But before we start the show, I have my very famous and always well-received trivia question. This one's going to go all the way back to 1986, Jeff. Mm. As we know, bands tend to rotate their crops here and there. They do. Uh, They'll lose some members, pick up new ones, et cetera, et cetera, especially bands that have been around for a while. Right. Well, in 1986, this band... And all of its splinters, so like people that have left the band and started new bands or side projects or whatever, that was the year of this band because, including the band itself, there were five splinters, or four splinters plus the band, that had top 20 hits in 1986. What was the band and what were the splinters? You don't have to tell me the songs. I'm not. Thank God for small miracles. I, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna put two guesses out there, and then at the end of the show, you can tell me that both of them are wrong. Okay. Um, but I'm gonna do that anyway. Guess number one is the Eagles. Okay. And Skyons of the Eagles, and the other one would be Genesis and Skyons of Genesis. So both not big bands, and that haven't had a ton of members, but they have had guys move in and out. Okay. Well, I will tell you the answer at the end of the show. 
All right. Uh, but this is the week beginning January the 3rd, and my records tell me it is your your turn to start. All right. Bill, do you remember your very first cell phone? I do. Uh, January 3rd, 1996, the very first clamshell flip phone, uh, the Motorola StarTac, g- goes on sale and sells 60 million copies during its lifetime. I think that's the one that I had. It was a Motorola, and it was... It looked like a clamshell. Yeah, sure. It was very small. It looked like a clamshell. They were modeled on the communicator used on classic Star Trek, yep. um, except they weren't yeah. rectangular. They were much more clamshelly. Yeah. I remember them being on like necklaces. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I could see that. I didn't have it like that, uh, but I could see that. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I didn't either, but I remember them being that way. Back in that time, this, I got mine in like 2006, I think. And at that time, I was like absolutely refusing to get a cell phone. I was really adamant about it. And I used to say things like, no, I leave my house because I don't want to answer the phone. Right. But I finally got one because I had an elderly mom and I felt it was important to be able to stay in touch. It was such a, uh, just a cheap phone that it didn't, it didn't even have a camera on it, you know? Right. And I used to hold it up like I was taking a picture all the time and people would just sit there and smile. I was like, yeah, I don't even have a camera. So. <laughs> <laughs> you do that now, you might get beaten. Yep. <laughs> I still have it. Yeah, do you really? Yep, it's in my drawer, just in case. Wow. Yep. I remember my first one was a Motorola, but it was uh, only the bottom part of it flipped open to reveal the keyboard. Yes. I mean, we had had an analog one at one point as well that was like the house cell phone. I'm saying this with – I'm making air quotes for no reason because nobody can see me, but I almost never used that one. Analog cell phone? Yeah, yeah. The first cell phones were analog. So oh. they was, it was, it was a, a standard called AMPS, Analog Mobile Phone Service. I thought you meant it was so it was so old it had a rotary dial on it. I had, had a sound <laughs> hole in the middle of it. <laughs> uh, no, so we had that, but we only used that for a little while, and then uh, we each got our own phones through whatever T-Mobile started as. I can't remember what their very first name was in the U.S. Yeah, but it wasn't T-Mobile. Well, I jumped on board when it was already T-Mobile, but yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now nowadays every everybody has a mobile Facebook app that can double as a phone when they need it. Right, right, right. It's it's funny. I used, I used to teach and develop training for the cell phone industry for engineers and stuff. Yep. And one of the things that we talked about when we talked about emerging cell phone technologies was what made cell phones so attractive and exciting was that you could turn them off and nobody could call you. Huh? And a power button, like a landline doesn't have a power button. Right. So that was a big deal. And now you think about it like, turn my phone off. Get the hell out of here. Like, I never turn my phone. I don't ever turn my phone off. I barely reboot the thing. And I'm, like, freaked out for the 30 <laughs> seconds it takes to reboot now, you know? What's that noise? Yeah. 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 Oh, no. Slide the power off. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be almost a minute. That's very funny. I never. Yes. I didn't think about that, that you could shut the phone off. Yeah. Like, the only time I do that is in the movie theater, really. I don't shut it off. I just put it silent. Right. Yeah, airplane mode. All right, moving on. January the 4th, 1987. Oh, boy. <laughs> you remember that rapper, MC 900 Foot Jesus? I freaking yeah. love Yeah, I yes, love MC 900 Foot Jesus. But he got his name from a vision that our friend, the Reverend Oral Roberts, had. And oh. by the way, Oral Roberts, just change your name or get a nickname, dude. Something. Definitely. Anyway. Well, uh, you know, it's weird because he, he, he had a brother. Anal Roberts. <laughs> so anyway, the Reverend Oral Roberts, who was a uh, televangelist, a lot of them in that time. We've been bringing up uh, televangelists lately a lot of times with Jim Baker and stuff. 
But anyway, our good friend Oral Roberts on January the 4th, 1987, announces that God will call me home if he doesn't raise $4.5 million in the next 90 days. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And then he had to come back at the end and say, like, no, 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 you you misunderstood because I, you know, I said this on TV. I didn't show you the text. Yeah. It was God will call me, comma, at home, yep. comma, if I don't raise four point five million dollars. Ding dong. I shut my cell phone off. Right. You know, he's going to sit by the phone all night and wait. Yeah. Which on prom night. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is 87 is before you even had caller ID. So you never know who's going to be on the end of that phone. <laughs> The whole thing with this Oral Roberts, you know, saying that God's going to call him home if he doesn't raise four and a half million dollars, right? Collectively, the whole world went, oh, off. But you know what? He still raised it. He did it. Yep. (laughs) He did it. Yeah. Well, I'd like to announce that, you know, Jesus is going to call me at home if I don't raise four point five million dollars in the next 90 minutes. So you can send that four point five million dollars to me, courtesy of Twibley. I, uh, Bill, I'll give you five percent. Yeah, I'll make no. I'll make sure you get every penny of that, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and if you email me pictures of dollars, that doesn't count. <laughs> yes, it does. Anal Roberts said so. Anal Roberts. <laughs> yep. I had a sister, you know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. Um, so January fifth. Yep. All right. Nineteen forty. Right. For the very first time. Uh, the FCC, that's the Federal Communications Commission, here's the, <laughs> here's the first transmission of FM radio with a clear static-free signal, yep. which is the sort of the hallmark of FM, uh, which is the technological evolution of AM, or amplitude-modulated radio. And do you know, trivia question, Bill, what the very first song, or the very first thing that they heard was? I'm going to guess... Thunderstruck by ACDC. It was Thunderstruck by ACDC. You know it because it's constantly playing. It has to be playing at all times. The beauty of FM radio is that the modulation scheme isn't impacted by electromagnetic radiation. So you can transmit it at low power for uh, long distances and it it doesn't attenuate the same way AM does. So you don't hear every time you you drive past a a light pole or uh, a TV station or something like that. And is the sort of backbone of... It's been the backbone of technology for sort of mass entertainment and, and news delivery since 1940. Amazing to think that it's still still going kind of strong. Yeah, sort of. Like when I did my, one of my uh, Florida road trips, one of my favorite things to do on the because I've been doing those road trips like 20 years now, right? right. And one of my favorite things right. to do is to listen to the various radio stations because, you know, different sections of the country have different you know, pockets of what's popular. I remember the first time I went down to Florida in 1990, I was amazed at how popular Queen was. Like all the rock radio stations played a lot of Queen where you didn't really hear that up here. But Queen was very popular down there. But now whenever I do the drive, it's all either Christian rock or country stations. Yeah, country's still big, big, big yeah, on radio. Yeah, and it doesn't, like, I mean, you would think it would be like that when you ever get into, like, the Carolinas and stuff like that. But no, all the way up and down the East Coast, it's, yeah, country and Christian stations. I'm actually what's known as a Nielsen family now and recorded my radio listening habits for a week and sent it into Nielsen ratings back in October of uh, last year. And it was really fun to sort of get reacquainted with the radio stations that we have around uh-huh. my area. How'd you get How'd you get involved in that? They, I think they emailed me and they said, hey, do you want to fill out a survey? And I was and like, just- okay. 
I just so happened to be looking at my spam folder that day. I think they actually spammed me with physical mail. And and when they spammed me with physical mail, they sent me a letter with two crisp dollar bills in it. And I'm like, hey, that pays for my water bill at work for a month. So, okay, what do I owe you, Nielsen families? And then they said, hey, if you, you know, we'll send you two more dollars if you fill out this radio thing. And I was like, all right. So I sent back the okay form, and they sent me two more dollars and the diary. And then I sent the diary back, and then they called and said, we're going to send you $15 for your diary. I'm like, all right. So anyway, I recorded who I was listening to, and I listened to a half a dozen different stations around here. I've come to the conclusion that their entire ecosystem, their entire economy is based on used car dealerships. <laughs> the used car dealerships and the occasional, like, dentist. Or a chiropractor. And that seems to be who, who's doing the advertising for radio now. And it was across, it didn't matter what kind of station it was. I listened to some talk stuff. I listened to country. I listened to rock and roll station. I listened to contemporary adult, yep. whatever that means. And it was like the same, like four car dealerships and five <laughs> dentists. You know, we were talking about this a couple of episodes ago when you said that you were in Providence and you were listening to, you know, our local classic rock radio station, HJY. And they yeah. basically. And they were playing, you know, Thunderstruck and a couple of other songs. Uh, But it was basically the same songs that you heard 30 years ago. You'd never know Aerosmith made any records after Toys in the Attic. (laughs) If you listen to this station. I swear to God, Dream On is the be-all end-all of of And And I was thinking, you know, time's ticking on HJY and their ilk. Because... How many 20-year-olds are listening to classic rock radio stations? Like, almost zero. I'm sure there'll be, like, some, like, weird subculture that does it. But, and I'm going to put this term out there so that if term becomes popular, Bill, you'll know where it came from. But they they get their music from free-range radio. The fuck? Not subscription. See? Cage-free, organic, free-range radio. I've heard you use the term terrestrial radio, and I, I like the sound of that. Yeah, yep. and that's a thing because terrestrial radio technically goes from antenna to antenna on the Earth's surface or just above the Earth's surface, and satellite radio bounces up into the into orbit and back down again, and that's the difference between the two. And that was the best lead-in ever because January the 6th, 1969, your friend and mine, former president but uh, soon-to-be president – at the time, Jimmy Carter, on January 6, 1969, saw a UFO. Extraterrestrial. Wow. Or as I like to say, a little light in the sky and didn't know what it was. It was probably it, a plane. Very well, could have been a plane. Um, yeah, UFO just stands for unidentified flying object, and that could be just about anything. But, yeah, future president Jimmy Carter sees a UFO. Ironically, he was already married for like 30 years <laughs> yeah, in 1969. Yeah. Seriously, he's like 99 years old now and still building houses with Habitat yeah. for Humanity. Yeah. Uh, dude's amazing. Like, um, oh, hold on. I'll be right back. I got cancer. If somebody could fill in for me for the second half of the day, I'll be back tomorrow. Here you go. You hold my nail gun. <laughs> <laughs> Comes back and is like, are you okay? He's like, yep. I am the Highlander. Yeah. There can be only one. <laughs> Take, give me by the mail, my nail gun back. So he, he saw this UFO in 1969, but he filled out a report in 1973 saying, it was the darndest thing I ever did see. It was big. It was very bright. And it changed colors. Uh, it was about the size of the moon. Uh, I, I guess. I don't know. The moon changes size. <laughs> but I, I'm still stuck on how you're making a measurement of the size of the moon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the moon in the sky, you know, when it's on the horizon, it looks huge. But, it would, you know, when it's very high up in the sky, it looks like... The moon's approximately 6,000 miles across. Yep. 
<laughs> so six thousand miles across. So uh, uh, a UFO that we saw was approximately a quarter of a million miles away, and uh, we watched it. <laughs> we watched it for a good ten minutes, but none of us could figure out what it was. And, uh, it was strange. It had these craters on it, like these indentations. And we noticed the moon was missing. Hold on a second. I think we're on to something. Um, I think it was supposed to be the new moon, or maybe it was the full moon. I can't quite remember. Uh, but he said, if I become president, I'll make every piece of information this country has about UFO sightings available to the public and to the scientists. And just like all politicians, he followed through exactly with what he said. Yep. Right, Bill? Exactly. And then uh, how long, you know, it was so many years later, the, we're going to storm Area 51. Remember that day? <laughs> yeah, I do. I actually have a theory. So hear me out yeah. there for all of our alien UFO enthusiast listeners and friends. He actually did see a UFO. And he went to release the information once he became president. And as he went to do that, somebody came into his office and said, uh, Mr. President, I'm... I'm here to talk with you about this UFO thing. And he says, oh, okay, well, I'm going to release all that information. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. If you release all that information, you're going to die at like 62. But if you hold it back, we'll make it so that you can build houses until you're in your late 90s, how would, early 100s. How would you like to be immortal? Yeah, I, yeah that, I, that's, maybe that's it. Maybe the aliens came yeah. back and they just gave them immortality. I have my own theory. Uh, my theory is that our friend Jimmy Carter was drunk as f- <laughs> drunk as fuck on peanut wine, if that's even a thing. Oh, oh man, really. this is so smooth. <laughs> this this goes down real nice with a nice pickle sandwich. Yep. Uh, oh, oh, it's delicious with some jelly. Yeah, or he was he was drunk on his brother's beer. There you go. Yep. All right, moving on to the seventh, January seventh. 1927, the famed basketball team, the Harlem Globetrotters, played their first road game. Nice. We all know the Harlem Globetrotters are the New York Harlem Globetrotters, right? Did you know that all of the players on the New York Harlem Globetrotters were from Chicago? (laughs) That's hilarious. It was they picked Harlem because Harlem was sort of the center of African American culture in the 1920s. It's where the jazz came from. It's where the first sort of uh, not like Black Wall Street, but where, where the first real concentration of urban and affluent blacks started. Okay. It became a place that set the entertainment trends that would radiate out of it, both in film and theater and internationally, too. I'm looking at the thing right here that it's hilarious. The Harlem Globetrotters, they didn't even play Harlem until like over 40 years after they started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of those like it's the myth is better than the, the reality, I guess. Right. But, I, you know, when we were talking about this before the show... I think the, the comment you made was, oh, it's like, uh, you know, Tex Colorado, the Arizona assassin. Oh, yeah, he fought the, out of Miami. Yeah. Gun, right? <laughs> yeah, he fought out of Miami. The Globetrotters were like, they were a fixture when I was a kid in the 70s. They're still a fixture now. They still play here in New Hampshire every year or two. They come and they whip ass on the Washington Senators or whatever the name of that tomato can team that they, they play basketball with. Right. They were kids. really, really, really popular in the 70s, like. Like they actually, like they, they became like celebrities because I, I, like I remembered some of their names. They had Curly and uh, I believe Metalark Lemons was in there, right? Metalark Lemon, yeah, yeah, Gip, and, yeah, and they had their they own, had their own like Saturday morning cartoon. Yes, they did, and um, they appeared on uh, with Gilligan's Island too. <laughs> That's right, the the second Gilligan's Island movie. Yeah. I don't know if they played teams in the ABA, the American Basketball Association, that short lived league in the seventies that like we got like the San Antonio Spurs or something from. But I know they still play with an ABA colored ball, which is right. the red, white, and blue ball. Yes. 
that I've always associated with the Globetrotters, but I guess that was the ABA, and that's just by virtue of at the time I was old enough to look at the TV and see a basketball player. Yeah, I remember asking my father, I was like, you know, if these guys are so, like, you know, they're the best basketball team in the world, why aren't they playing, like, you know, in the NBA and stuff? My father was like, because their basketball, like, wrestling is fighting. I was like, yeah. oh, it's a big show. Yeah, I was like, oh, all it's right. It's a big that's show, fine. yeah. He goes, it's it's fun. Exhibition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it's just there for fun. And, of course, the, the big bucket of confetti. All right, moving on to the 8th. January the 8th, 2006, your friend and mine, Howard Stern, takes a leap from terrestrial radio to satellite radio. Oh. Uh, and his contract is for $500 million over the first five years. That's a half a billion dollars just for talking. That's a, that's a lot of cabbage. Yeah. The thing is, like, he's never going to be able to spend that because he's in space. <laughs> right? Yes, he's on a satellite, Jeff. That's exactly where he is. <laughs> I, the, the reason I say that like that is every time I think about Howard Stern moving to satellite radio, my brain puts him like in Thunderbird 6. ISS, yeah. At the International Space Station or whatever. And that's where he is. He's like, hey, I'm Howard Stern and I'm in space. This guy is making a half a billion dollars over five years. And like I'm over there just like sweating, trying, you know, praying someday I can get a, a free subscription to the Dollar Shave Club out of this, right? <laughs> or Blue Apron or whatever the hell. Right, right. Audible.com, whoever. But, like, the thing with Howard Stern, like, I remember whenever he jumped, I know a lot of people that actually started subscribing to satellite radio just because that's where Howard Stern was going to be. And that's why he got 500 million bucks yeah. over five years. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had a humongous terrestrial radio footprint. He was he was syndicated all over the United yeah. States. All over, like in every market. For sure. So here we are like 16 years later and, you know, Howard Stern was like a big deal because he was kind of edgy and then whenever he's on satellite radio, he's not held down to the FCC regulations. Right. You know, he could swear and get a little a, a little more randy yep. than, uh, than he could on terrestrial radio. And, you know, here we are 16 years later and that's really no big deal. You know, right. in the world with uh, podcasts, YouTube, and TikTok videos, making dick jokes is really not hard to come by. Right, right, As right. a matter of fact, right. we don't work very blue on this show by design just simply because I don't – I think it's too easy. I think it's too easy to work blue. I could be making dick jokes all day long over here. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we, we you know, we, we, we occasionally pepper in something like – around like the planet Uranus or something yeah. like that. That's Anal funny. Roberts, right, but yeah. yeah, we're language conscious on this program. I will say yeah. though, and look, this is just for the, the listening audience. So uh, do with it what you will. But even though we don't work blue, I do record this show without any pants on. Noted. <laughs> I was actually going to make a very similar joke. <laughs> were you really? Say, yep. <laughs> Whatever Jeff says, I'm going to follow it up with, I'm naked. and Except for naked. that. So enough about nudity and dick jokes. Uh, what did we get for the ninth? For the ninth, in 1967, the second album by the Monkees, More of the Monkees, is released. And it goes to number one, and it stays there, I think, four weeks. It has, like, three singles that come off of it. And it is the second uh, record album I ever owned as a child that was given to, to me. Actually, it was given to my brother Aaron when he was four years old and I was six years old. Uh, yeah, it's one of the ones that I've had for... A long time. I think I still have a copy of it downstairs in my What collection. were the singles on that one? I'm a believer. 
Yep. I'm not your stepping stone. Yep. And maybe she. Uh, and look out here comes tomorrow, which is my favorite monkey song from that years where they were only singing along and not playing yeah, so one much. One of my favorites is on that uh, album too. Your Auntie Griselda. Yeah, Auntie Griselda. Yeah, yeah, I love that song. That's a, a she knows your a mind. Peter right. Torque song. Yeah. One of the, one of the is, yeah. one of the few that he sang, which I thought was interesting that he barely sang, and he was probably one of the most talented ones out of the bunch. Right. So, but maybe well, maybe he didn't like to sing. Like we were talking about Pink Floyd, you know. I think yeah. we've uh, both established how much we love the monkeys. So, yes. So. Yeah. Without further ado, we're going to go on to the celebrity birthdays. January the third, nineteen thirty-two. I wrote this guy's name down because, as far as I was concerned, he did like three movies. I was thinking to myself, he should be more famous. And then I looked up his IMDb, and it's like... He he was way oh, more yeah, famous. yeah, he was way more famous than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> Dabney Coleman, who most people I think would know as the boss from 9 to 5. He was in War Games, too. Yes, he was in War and Games. Cloak and Dagger. That was the one that I was thinking of, because I figured nobody nobody really knows that movie, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, what cloak and dagger? Yeah, it was a great little adventure movie or kids. That came out just when we were. I mean, that was just around the. That's like a for our generation. It's like our tween years. Yeah, it was like almost an adult action adventure movie, but it was still tied to sort of like a kid main character. Right, it was, and Dabney Coleman played like the embodiment of his action figure hero. Kind of, yeah. Like the kid was really into role playing games, but it wasn't like Dungeons and Dragons. It was more like a right. a spy thing. And Dabney Coleman's character was like the kid's avatar, so to speak, in the game come to life. But yeah, he's in a bunch of things. He was in Tootsie. He was in On Golden Pawn. He did a ton of TV stuff, too. I remember the show Buffalo Bill, which was like one of those grown-up comedies that I wasn't allowed to watch when I was little. Right. Um, His resume really stretches, too, from dramas like The Towering Inferno to comedies like Dragnet, blue comedies like North Dallas 40. Right? right, and then he was actually in Inspector Gadget too, with uh, with Matthew Broderick. You know, he's still kicking too. Uh, as of this recording, uh, he is ninety years old. Jeez, I, he's, I wonder if he's out building houses with uh, former President Carter. Hey, kid, go get me a glass of water. So, uh, <laughs> 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 all right, next up. All right, January the fourth, nineteen sixty. Uh, Michael Stipe, the vocalist for REM. Uh-huh. A band that is 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 one of the rare ones that, at the height of their kind of popularity, were like, eh, "All right, we're done." Yep. And they disbanded to go off and do other things. One of them went off to become a farmer, and the other two went off to become I don't even know what, because <laughs> they haven't come back and done more music. They've just kind of been out there, right, right, enjoying the fruits of their previous labor. So, rock on, Michael Stein. Yeah, REM were like college radio darlings. They were kind of. I remember they were like my smart friends bands. That they liked, you know. I really, really, really like a song from them called South Central Rain. Then once MTV got their hooks in them, you know, they started doing like the shiny happy people. And I I just yeah. kind of like lost interest. But during my album of the day, I listened to one of their later albums. And it was fine. It was fine. I just had to get past the singles, I guess. Uh, I liked like Losing My Religion and uh, Everybody Hurts. And, and they were gone. Yeah. And I, their their earlier stuff is a lot more interesting because it's it's like around that same sort of weird like Per Ubu and later Elvis Costello and the Attraction stuff that that 
proto punk and and actual punk have merged and then sort of start to drift apart again into college radio and it's really fun it's a lot faster and more up tempo and then and then like you described it mtv got their hooks in them and changed it changed it considerably when they started out they were making music and then they ended up making money right right yep yep january the 5th 1904 a woman by the name of gene dixon people like this are such a rock in my shoe uh, Jean Dixon was an American astrologer and psychic. Didn't she have like a column in like the Globe or the Star or the National Enquirer? It was like one of those. Yeah. She was always featured on the cover of one of those. Yeah, and she used to do the horoscope and yeah, the horoscope in the in the daily newspaper it used to be by Jean Dixon. You know, Jean Dixon reportedly predicted the assassination of John Kennedy. You know, she said that he was going to win the election and he was going to get assassinated but like before the election she changed her mind she's like uh no he's not gonna win uh uh nixon's gonna win and nixon did not win and kennedy did win and got assassinated and she was like see i told you and stuff like that nowadays we have a new name for it we call it shotgunning whenever a psychic or a medium just makes a bazillion predictions and you only remember the ones they get right you don't remember the million of ones that they got wrong uh, we call that shotgunning now, but it used to be called the Gene Dixon effect. Oh, well, I used to use a variant of that to get the occasional middle school day off because my mom, who's definitely interested in astrology and always has been, at least as long as I've known her, if I was to say to her on the right day, which was as long as I had a good span of time between one event and the other, I'd say, Mom, I had the strangest dream last night. There was a, there was a bus accident and so many kids were killed. She'd like, you're not going to school today. That's amazing. <laughs> and I would be home watching The Price is Right. Yep. Though it's hilarious, it's like up until like maybe, I don't know, like eight years ago, nobody ever heard the term Mercury is in retrograde. But now that everybody knows what Mercury is in retrograde is all about, everybody freaks out about it. I don't remember ever hearing about that. Yeah, I used to hear about that from my mom. I don't. I still don't know what it means. My brain does this when people start to talk to me about astrology. Yeah. It just starts to go like, and I'm watching their mouth move. But there's no sound coming out. And my brain is preventing me from understanding it. I used to be a big believer in a bunch of bullshit. And then it kind of dawned on me that the constellations only line up from where you're standing. If you were on the moon, the constellations would look completely different. Right. So... Gene Dixon is over there doing Buzz Aldrin's horoscope, you know what I mean? So <laughs> You're going to punch a guy. You're going to punch him right in the face. I don't know why you're going to do it, but you're going to lay him out. <laughs> so who do we got for the 6th? January 6th, 1960, the hottest woman to ever host a cooking show, Nigella Lawson, who, if you don't know her... I don't. She used to host a show on the Food Network that was imported from the BBC where she would cook... I don't even care what she... I used to watch it every single day, every time I could. She could be making because, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and you're like, Ew. Oh, at the end, like... Oh, she is attractive. Look at her. At Every time at the end of the show, she would, like... She'd come downstairs late at night and open the fridge and, like, reach into the fridge and take out, like, I don't know, chocolate frosting or some stupid thing that she had made and start eating it off of her fingers. Yeah. It was the hottest thing I'd ever seen on TV. It was amazing. And I was like, I have to learn how to make that. 
just so that I can imagine this scene again and again. Uh, I'm looking at a picture of her right now, and she's wearing a T-shirt that says English Muffin across it. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Yeah, definitely an English Muffin. And she's uh, she's not like a petite woman. She's She definitely eats what she makes, and she's she's like she's really pretty, and she's really talented. She's a great writer. I have a couple of her cookbooks oh, yeah. that I've never made anything from. <laughs> they have too many pictures of her inside. They have just pictures of her licking things off of her fingers. It <laughs> ruins the potential for me to cook anything. Stop it! Why would you Stop do that? It, don't, for God's sakes, I almost ate raw chicken. <laughs> All right. And now uh, moving on to January the 7th. January the 7th, 1950. Another absolutely stunningly beautiful woman, Erin Gray. Oh, yeah. I remember her from Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Yeah. And she simultaneously, she was on that. And she was also on Silver Spoons, if you remember correctly. I do. I don't think it was simultaneously. I think it was after that. Not simultaneously, but they were pretty close together. Because she was a blonde on Buck Rogers, wasn't she? Kind of in the first season, not so much in the second season. Buck Rogers had some problems. (laughs) (laughs) There was a writer's strike at the end of the first season of Buck Rogers. And by the time it came back, they'd completely revamped the show. Right. And where she was like Commander Wilma Deering of the New Chicago Defense Forces in the first season. She was like, Wilma. The girl who gets rescued in the second season, and it was way less good. Another thing, too. Uh, all right, so after that, she did Silver Spoons, and then the the last thing I remember seeing her in was, I mean, you say her career got destroyed by Buck Rogers, but I'm going to argue that her career got destroyed by Friday the 13th. It wasn't called Friday the 13th. It was actually called Jason Goes to Hell. Because they had switched movie companies by that time, and the name Friday the 13th belonged to Paramount, but now they were on New Line Cinema. But anyway, Erin Gray was in that movie. Oh, boy. And there is a scene in that movie where, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Because we don't work blue, I'm trying to find a way to uh, phrase this. In the movie, Jason's essence gets broken up into these, like, space worms. It's a really f***ed up movie and stupid. But one of the space worms makes its way up Erin Gray's pant leg, so to speak. Uh-huh. And she had no idea. She was, like, at the premiere watching the movie, and she was like, what? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. she had no idea that happened. She was actually very, very uh, upset about that whole uh, incident. Yeah, she had no idea that she got uh, accosted by Jason's essence. I got- Bring in the stunt leg. Erin's gone. Yeah. We only could afford to have her for three. Uh, I know she did like a short, short film some years back with Gil Gerard, which was kind of cool to see them both together again. And it was some, I don't even know what it was. It was like a fan film that they had done. Um, Maybe it was one of the Friday the 13th uh, fan films. It was It was not. It was a, it was a Buck Rogers fan film. Yeah. Yes. Uh, who did we go for the 8th? Uh, January 8th, 1947. Rocker David Bowie. Hey, born another, as... Another beautiful woman. <laughs> Born as David Jones, but changed his name, stage name to David Bowie, so he wouldn't be confused with the diminutive singer of the Monkees, as his first singles were starting to come out. Yep. And uh, he was also a puppeteer and all-around sort of strange, late 1960s artist yep. kind of guy. Yes. And all of that influenced what would become his his first foray into sort of character-driven rock, like Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, mm-hmm. where the first record with changes and... Space Oddity was a little bit more sort of rock and roll record. They got really friggin' weird after that, but they're great. So, yeah, I just listened to Scary Monsters and Super Creeps today as part of my album a day uh, challenge. That album actually contains my favorite David Bowie song, Ashes to Ashes. Ah, 
That was one of my very first favorite videos. That one, and I am a, I am the DJ on MTV. Yep. And fashion. Uh, and fashion. Fashion. And Turn Alan left. Hunter from MTV is actually in that video for fashion. Is he really? Oh, wow. I'll have to go back and watch it again. I always thought that those were great videos. Um, and that was my springboard into listening to David Bowie. I think I'd heard Space Oddity before and Changes, but I'd never heard anything else. And then from there, I worked my way backwards into his into his earlier stuff, which I love, like Diamond Dogs. And wrapping up the birthdays on January the 9th, 1913, Richard Dixon. <laughs> the last Republican president that had any balls, I guess. Uh, the last liberal Republican president, yeah. Right, the last liberal president, I think, uh, to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not even really kidding that much. Right. You know, signed the EPA into existence and curtailed the FBI some. and uh, Welfare as well, as well yeah. Welfare, went to China and sort of opened the door to communication with communist China. Like, I'm not giving the guy a ton, ton of props. He was, he was as crooked as the day is long and he had as much charisma as a road accident. But, you know, yeah. I mean, everything is relative. Right. For all his faults, he did a lot of good. Yeah, for sure. Right, yes. And uh, he shook hands with Elvis. <laughs> it's, it's very true. Yeah. And he went and he did the, about the kitchen table summit. Uh, and he also installed a one alley bowling alley in the White House, basement of the White House. He was a big, a big fan of bowling. His middle name is Millhouse, which is hilarious. Yes, that's who the Simpsons character is named after, Millhouse Van Houten. And one of my favorite trivia bits about Nixon is in his later days, he loved rap and hip hop and would listen to it all the time. Yeah. Put on that, uh, that public enemy again. <laughs> I love that flavor, flavor. So, yeah, he died in 1994. So I bet you, like, he was, I really, really like that uh, hip hop hooray song. Put that one in. <laughs> I'm done with OPP, <laughs> other people's presidencies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yes. I don't like that. Uh, that TLC. To me, they're just a worst song ever. So for this week's uh, worst song ever, Jeff. Okay. So we have a lot of different categories for the worst song ever. Today's worst song ever comes from an artist, uh, quote unquote artist, uh, Kid Rock, and I don't remember which song I picked. Because it kind of, because uh, it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> I could go for basically any song from his catalog, but I'm gonna go with the song "All Summer Long," yeah. which samples well, samples quite a bit. But the main loop of the song is "Werewolves of London," the piano from right. Warren Zevon, which is hilarious because that song may as well just have that little bit on a loop. It doesn't have a verse, bridge, verse, chorus. It just has that same doo-doo, 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 doo-doo through the whole song. Right. And Kid Rock loops that and puts his own lyrics over it. Before we get into our Kid Rock deep dive, here's our clip. It was 1989, my thoughts were short, my hair was long. Somewhere between a boy and man She was 17 and she was far from in between It was summertime in northern Michigan See, and I know this is an old argument But I don't think this is a, a song 
This is you making stuff yeah. up over somebody else's song. And it's funny that this particular song, I think, charted highest of everything on this record. And there were, I think, four singles from from this. There was Rock and Roll Jesus, which is a sounds kind of like ACDC. There's Roll On, which sounds kind of like ACDC. <laughs> and there's So Hot. Sounds kind of like ACTC. Kind of. Uh, same song structure, same same tempo, same everything. And then there's Thunderstruck. <laughs> and then there's then there's Thunderstruck, Thunderstruck, and Thunderstruck. But and then there's All Summer Long, which is only it's only notable for using Werewolves of London and for using part of was it Sweet Home Alabama? There's a there's another song in there that's buried either from the Almond Brothers or Leonard Skinner. I can't remember which one. It totally gets by just on like dun, 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 dun. but everything else in the song sucks and he definitely has like a idiom especially on this record this is the record that he had just come off of like two big big albums when this one came out and then he sort of drifted off and his songs are all the same they're all like i worked really hard to be a musician and now i'm a musician <laughs> yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of two-thirds of these songs and the other ones are like songs that you hear in a strip club that I'm not going to quote because we don't work blue, even though I have no pants right. on. I went um, back and I listened to Kid Rock's like first album because Kid Rock, you know, we're picking a song because basically we have to. That's what the segment is called. But I'm just picking apart Kid Rock like as a whole because one, I don't know anybody that likes him. Yet this guy's got five million monthly listens on Spotify. And right. two... How can you be a Kid Rock fan when the guy has about as much musical integrity as nothing? He started out as a, you know in the early '90s as a rapper, right? And he was filthy. This, he never got any radio play because he couldn't get any radio play. Like right. this first single, quote unquote, single was called "Yodeling in the Gully," which is. Uh, euphemism. <laughs> it sounds like something Oral Roberts' sister would say yes. about. It's about as subtle as a heart attack, too. Right. Well, isn't he from like the same sort of sphere of musicians in Detroit as like Insane Clown Posse? Don't they have some mutual dislike, or is that someone else? I'm not sure. Okay. I I would say that he's not my genre, but it wasn't long after that, you know, 1999. He's over there at Woodstock '99, right before it caught fire, doing the. Almost new metal, but it had that rap kind of thing infused yeah. to it, like uh, like Limp Biscuit. So he had that, and I almost picked the ball with the ball with the bangy bangy song there. I, I almost picked that one, and then he started getting a little bit like there was like some controversy because he used to use the rebel flag and stuff like that. And Detroit asked him to like denounce the the flag, and he ended up like denouncing Detroit instead and moving to Tennessee. And yep. now, because he's in Tennessee, all of a sudden he's a country artist, you know? Well, it's interesting only in that – and again, I, I'm not – this is like Nixon, and, and I'm not giving the guy props it is deserve, right? When he made the move to, to Nashville, he's no dummy, right? Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, I have this sort of core fan base that's going to travel with me, but I want it to be bigger. So he still has – he still puts a hip-hop song on every record. Yep. And he still does some sort of crossover country type songs, and that crosses over kind of into the ACDC sounding type songs. And again, the subject matter is the same on every single record. <laughs> I worked really hard to be a musician, and here I am. That girl's hot. I have no pants on, you know? But in PG 13 version, because it's Nashville. Right. Props to finding your market oh. and being able to build on it. Um, 
And I guess he's he's broken into you know doing the thing that a lot of a lot of these guys do when they get to Nashville is they buys a hockey talk has his own bar and club and was recently famous for somebody like <laughs> spinning their colostomy bag around like a <laughs> lasso. Yeah. <laughs> and also for saying horrible things about trans people and black people on stage and then almost getting his head bashed in by his his clientele. So. That's Kid Rock. But back to this crappy song. It's just built, it's Frankenstein's monster built out of other songs that the only reason you like it is because you like the other songs. It's like yeah. Sean Puffy Combs who did that with uh, everything. Cashmere. Uh, yeah. Yeah, everything he's ever yeah. done. Or, um, or Diana Ross, right? Good music and good hooks that you already know. Yeah. So it's going to be successful because those songs are successful. Right. And it's a shame because, like, again, the other songs that were singles on this are better songs. Roll On's a better song. So Hot, still a better song. Rock and Roll Jesus, it's a better song. But all summer long is super radio friendly. And, uh, that's another thing too with uh, with all summer long. Uh, HJY, our rock and roll station, will play Kid Rock. You know, yep. and then I'll hear do 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 do, and I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Warren Zevon. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Swerve. It's uh, it's Kid Rock. Yep. Too bad. Yeah. Hope you didn't like that song because you're gonna have to like this one instead. But wrapping up the show. Uh, speaking of good music, so uh, there was a band, famous band, and in 1986, the band itself, plus Splinters, so former members and solo projects and stuff like that, Splinters from that band yep. all had top 20 hits in 1986. What was the band and what was the, the Splinters? You don't have to give me the right. songs. I'll give you the songs. Uh, I, won't, I won't give you the songs, but I'll give you the bands and the Splinters. And again, I made two guesses at the beginning of the yep. show. My first guess was the Eagles. Yep. And that's because I imagine the Eagles a band. Don Henley had a solo record. Glenn Fry had that crappy Smugglers well, Blues you record. Can, you can just—I'll put the brakes on you right now. It's not the Eagles. Oh, okay. The other band that I thought it might be would be Genesis, which had Genesis, okay. um, Mike and the Mechanics, yep. Phil Collins solo, yep. and Steve Hackett in like GTR. Yep. You still need one more. I still need one more. Mike Rutherford and um, I played with myself on Tuesday. Uh, I don't know what band. I, I can't think of anything else. That's it for, Oh, Peter Gabriel. There it is. Genesis right. had Invisible Touch. Yep. Phil Collins had Take Me Home. Yep. Peter Gabriel had Sledgehammer. Right. Mike and the Mechanics had All I Need is a Miracle. Yep. And then GTR. That was the one. That was a swerve. I thought I was going to hook you up with that one. Uh, GTR had Steve Hackett, an old, old guitar player from early days. Of early Genesis, Genesis yep. yeah. And uh, that was the only one that didn't go top 10 out of all those songs. That song made it to number 14 with When the Heart Rules the Mind, Rules the Mind. which is a yeah, great I bought, song. I bought that tape just for that song, and that's about the only song on it that was good. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, The Hunter wasn't a bad song, which is the next single, and conveniently enough, the second song on the album. So you didn't have to listen to the rest. All right, but that is going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. If you have friends, you should tell them about our show. And if you don't have friends, tell the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. 